Well, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. I uh, got a great show. I know I say that every week, but uh, we're continuing our theme of uh, going over the pond to the United Kingdom. Uh, and we have got a really, really special program today. We're going to talk about the University of Birmingham, and we've got Trevor Payne, the Director of States. Uh, and fortunately, Trevor just came back from Dubai yesterday. So we were chatting in the green room. Uh, if we have some time, maybe we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on over there. But the topic for today is going to be smart campuses, and uh, they're doing something pretty special over there as far as looking how education is changing. We were actually talking a little bit about the pandemic and working from home and going to school from home and hybrid and what's the classroom going to look like. And one of the things we uh, concluded was that this would not have happened so fast without the pandemic. So if there's any kind of a silver lining is that the digital transformation of how we live, work and play has been accelerated. And Trevor's going to share some really great insights with what uh, he's doing um, uh, at the University of Birmingham. But before we start, let's show a brief video of the campus and then we'll bring on Trevor and have a great conversation. How do you create the smartest university in the world? Bring a world leading university together with a global technology powerhouse and the possibilities are endless. Our world is evolving and technology is transforming the everyday, so we must continually transform. Together, the University of Birmingham and Siemens are starting the journey to create the smartest university campus in the world. Using cutting-edge smart sensor technologies, artificial intelligence and energy-efficient infrastructure, the university will become a living lab capturing data across the campus and use it for innovation, teaching and research. Our goal is to deliver the campus of the future, enhancing the student, staff and community experience and accelerating the university's path to net zero. From Birmingham to Dubai, see how we are shaping the future of campuses through this energy and digital transformation journey. Trevor, how are you? Hi, Jim. I'm really good. Great to be with you. Yeah, and I understand your travel schedule is a bit crazy. I mean, jet-setting around the world, just coming back from Dubai, which I think I'm going to integrate into the conversation. I know we didn't have the questions, but I, I got to take advantage of the fact that you were just at, in one of the most crazy, innovative, forward-thinking places in the world. So let's uh, remember, I'm going to bring that back in. Mm -hmm. Before we get started about the project, can you give um, our listeners a little background of yourself? Uh, because uh, to be able to manage a project like this, uh, incredible skills, experience, can you give us a little insight on your journey? Yeah, sure. So I started off as an electrical engineer. Uh, I did about 29 years work for the health service in the UK. So I'm used to working in hospitals, building hospitals, maintaining hospitals, hospitals. And that's a wide range of, of big, new, high tech, right down to the old Victorian listed buildings that just weren't designed to build healthcare in. So that gave me a real taste for cutting edge new build tech, but also the need to retrofit existing. Um, I moved over to the higher education sector, the university sector about seven years ago, uh, big challenge to manage a, a huge capital program at University of Birmingham, uh, just finished the first five year program. And part of that is to deliver a brand new campus, a clean sheet of paper campus in Dubai. And that's where I was this week. We've literally just opened the door to students and stuff. Yeah, and we're going to, I guess I'm going to talk about that um, uh, as we get towards the end of the conversation. So you, you have a campus. Um, why don't we bring up the shot of that uh, campus? So 
this is a small city, right? I mean, this has got transportation, this has got heating, it's got water, it's got buildings. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is a city. Um, any comments? Can you give us an idea on, on the where the, the campus is? It looks like we got a, a, an artery, some type of transportation on the left. Uh, how far does the does the campus extend? Sure. So the little green circle at the top, right down to the sports pitches at the bottom, and then across to the three little cones you can see on the left-hand side of screen, and almost right over to the other side of screen is is the extent of campus. Our next door neighbour is one of the largest hospitals in Europe, so there is a big link between us and healthcare and medical doctor training. We've got. We are a small city, as you mentioned. I mean, we've got all of the amenities of a small city. We've got theatres, parking lots, sports centres, libraries. Um, and that's great. So from a smart perspective, because we are wedded to this smart city concept and we can we, we can use the campus because we have scale. We have variety of buildings. We have different working patterns. If we can do it on the university, then actually we can play that out into the wider research. Uh, well, and, and from a, a, a political standpoint, if you will, a smart city is a little harder to manage because you've got a thousand stakeholders with different views and opinions. Yeah. The university, you're kind of like a benevolent dictator, right? I mean, you guys can do what you want on that campus. True? It's all, yeah, absolutely. It's all under our control. Where smart cities get really difficult is where you've got boundaries that are being crossed and risk and transfer of risk. If you own it and you control it yourself, it is a little easier. Right. Okay, so uh, universities, lots of them in the world, uh, they they like to think that they're themselves as being innovative because they teach research, which ends up being innovative. However, I think we'll all admit that they've gotten a bit parochial, conservative, and a little bit too much no, right? I mean, I've, I've dealt with a lot of universities now, and it's hard to move those battleships, okay? So at some point, somebody at the University of Birmingham said, we're going to be different. We're going to take chances. We're going to say yes instead of no. Who was that and when was that vision formulated? Uh, so that was our vice chancellor and um, he's recently retired, but um, a huge amount of work happened on his watch in terms of development of campus, new buildings, new ways of working. Uh, and when I joined, I was challenged with coming up with a capital program. So that was, um, as I say, a lot of construction, a lot of retrofit, but really trying to drive the experience, not just for students, which was hugely important because that's where a huge chunk of our income comes in, but also for staff. What we want to do is recruit good staff and keep them. And the best way to do that is to have a really great place to work and a great experience. So, you know, it, it, it was an open door for me. All the boxes were being ticked. So in terms of vision, that's where that, that vision came from. So I don't want to get you know into the psyche of, of him, but you know why did he decide at some point to go against you know the grain, if you will, and to really take risks and try to do something that was unproven? It's certainly at that scale. I mean, was that just his nature? Yeah, I mean, I guess it is unusual because there is a lot of um, traditional approach in the university sector and it works very well for, you know, big universities. Um, they're very successful, but we're a competitive uh, in a competitive market as well. We have to make sure we attract the brightest and the best. We have to live what we teach, you know, practice what we preach as well. So we need to break out of that and create a really immersive um, campus community and we can't do that in dusty historic old buildings but they have a part to play but we have to have a mixture of old and new yeah i mean here's a photo of your students in action i mean you know you you take this uh, augmented virtual extended reality you know you, you've got cell phones you've got digital walls i mean 
that is not just old buildings to your point, right? And it's it's sort of like, how do you go from the old paradigm to this paradigm where, you know, digital is becoming much, much more, you know, and, and if you think about it, um, we are, our mantra for years has been uh, big and dumb is out, small and smaller and smarter is in. So as we were talking about in the green room, I personally think the construction budget of any building project campus should be reduced by 25% at least. So you're going to build 25% less space and that remaining dollars now goes to the immersive technologies that'll help you get to where you want to go. Would you agree with that? I completely agree. I mean, a smaller, better estate is absolutely the way forward. I mean, for us, we've got a huge challenge around net zero carbon. So we've got over 200 buildings already. They exist. Probably 80% of those buildings will be the buildings we'll be operating from by 20, 20, in 2050. So we can't keep just building new. We have to work with what we've got as well. Right. So post-pandemic, there's a huge amount of consolidation. People are working differently. So you've got people working different hours on different days and you've got a lot of part-occupied buildings, which is not efficient. So now more than ever is the time to try and pull all that together because I think people are up for it. Do you ever see taking down old buildings when you realize that your square footage requirements are, are less? Look, I think everything's got to be on the table at the moment as we return post-pandemic. We've got to consolidate. We've got to be more efficient. So I think what we've got to do is use the buildings in a different way. Ideally, we will um, get rid of leases for buildings that we don't need anymore. So we'll consolidate and we'll offload leased buildings. It's a little bit more difficult if you've got historic or heritage buildings because, you know, you're a custodian of those buildings. You have to look after them properly. Um, you've also got to be careful that you've got buildings in the heart of campus that you just can't sell you have to work with them so there is a bit of inbuilt inefficiency but actually there are opportunities to work with partners bring partners onto campus adaptive reuse partnering with the private sector bringing in gymnasiums climbing walls restaurants and now that truly does become an alive interactive city that you know is not just a campus right? absolutely Spot on. along that 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 same theme um when you are, are looking at the physical requirements going forward um how do we get the old traditional folks who believe education and it doesn't mean i don't mean just old i mean old in thinking that education used to be getting in, in an automobile going someplace sitting in a classroom okay and p.s that classroom is air conditioned heated and lit seven days a week sometimes 20 hours a day because people are forgetting to turn off the heat and turn off the lights right mm -hmm. and in, a, in an environment where we're now because of what's going on around the world, much more cognizant of energy, sustainability, ESG. Is this, are we really gonna get over the hump with some of these folks and saying, we gotta let go of the old ways? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And let's not forget that most of those individuals will have a single person office that they probably use 30% of the working week as well. So it just compounds the issue. Look, two years and two weeks ago, probably I would have given you a different answer, but the pandemic hit and suddenly overnight, a switch got flicked and we suddenly had to do things in a different way. We moved really quickly. We moved online. We started teaching online. We all started to work remotely and it was a bit messy and a bit fiddly at the start, but actually people grew into it. People actually embraced it. So I don't think there's any going back from that or elements of it. The genie's out of the bottle now and that's helped me from a real estate perspective. Right. Well, it, and I know we're going a little off course for our questions, but this is an interesting question. Um, so what do you say to those emerging countries that are building their, their central business districts, are developing their future plans based on the last iteration of the 20th century? 
okay? And now we're, because of the pandemic, we're really transforming at a pretty good clip into what the 21st century is gonna look like, but they've got their infrastructure and their you know, telecommunications and their water, and they got all these big buildings in the central business district. What do you say to them? Do they do you say stop and reevaluate? I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's probably unreasonable to say stop. I think they've got to reflect because, you know, you've got to slow the pace. I mean, you've got to learn from what we've just been through. You can't just blindly carry on as it was before. But, you know, these things are a long time in the making. Sometimes these are six year projects. So to suddenly stop on. You know, I, I didn't mean literally stop. But I mean, think about those people when you went from the agrarian age to the industrial age and and you went from barns and all the infrastructure to support food growing to these things called factories. It didn't happen overnight, but sooner or later you looked and said, nobody's in my town anymore. And, and what's this thing in Chicago called a factory? Um, I, I personally think that the central business district globally is gonna be rethought mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and going there just to work, just to play without considering what the virtual component is, I think is a mistake. Yeah. So sorry for that little sidebar. All right, one final question before we take a break. Um, in our earlier conversations, you use the word living lab a lot. Like, mm -hmm. Define living lab. Uh, so we've got a, a huge campus, as we saw earlier, and we're having to invest in that because of the age of some of the equipment. So we are investing in infrastructure, electrical grids, decarbonizing the heat network. We've got some fantastic academics in the sustainability and uh, energy uh, arena. So why don't we, we invest and work with the ac academics and actually develop research, develop learning that we can share. So part of the deal that we've just done with Siemens, we're investing in 10 PhDs, focusing on the work that we're doing around going smart. Wow. So that starts to generate research. So when we say living lab, that's because we're going to be trialing novel technology mm -hmm. on campus, because as we mentioned before, we're a small city scale. We can test it at scale. Yeah. We can do it safely. We'll look at digital twins. So some of it we can do offline and virtually. And if it works great, if it doesn't think of something new, but the, that's the concept of the living lab. Yeah, well, and, and uh, you and I were talking earlier about Lake Nona um, and how they're one of the largest autonomous vehicle testing labs mm -hmm. in the world, right? It's a living lab. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, you don't put these things out on the freeway. You put them in a tr controlled environment. You test them. You make sure they work. You expand. But those of you who've got large large swaths of land in small cities, that's the ideal place for these things to be tested. And I always did find it interesting that these universities did all this great research, but the people in the facilities and the real estate group never talked. I've got some universities right at the top of my head in the United States, big top five, and we can't seem to get facilities and the R&D that's taking place three buildings over aligned. You know, and there's a cyber conversation, there's an IT conversation, there's a facilities conversation, but none of them is one conversation. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's a whole other episode of organizational alignment, which uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with. All right, let's take a brief break. We'll come back and I got some more questions for you. Um, it's a very exciting conversation. All right, Trevor. Um, smart buildings, smart cities, smart district, smart campus, big words, sometimes a little confusing for people. Can you give me two or three specific examples? Smart classroom, uh, uh, next generation telecommunications infrastructure, drone army. I mean, what? give me three features of the campus that people can wrap their heads around that would say this is different. Okay, right. So a, a, a one that's 
going to be of, of use to everyone. I mean, we're we're focusing on energy at the moment, so we're ripping out all of the old light fittings and putting LED in across the whole estate, 200 buildings. Wow. At the same time, we're putting smart sensors into those light fittings. So we are starting to future-proof and to try and collect data so that we can manage and maintain in a real-time manner. So there's no better time to do that from a cost perspective than when you've got the guy there changing the light fitting. So that's a system called Enlighted. And that's the largest rollout in, in any university anywhere on any university campus. Really? So, yeah, we're, we're familiar with Enlighted. So this is gonna be the yeah. largest in, uh, university installation? It, it is, and we'll have 60,000 sensors uh, and then we'll continue to, to, to evolve across campus. That starts to link to a, a bureau service as well. So one thing I wanted to do was to make sure we put the kit in, but actually we, we used the data and we interpreted it and analyzed it. So we'll have an independent who's pointing us to where the opportunities are. So we're gonna link it to our timetabling system. So in a real time way, we know how our space is being used. Now, you might say that's not rocket science, but for a university, that's a huge step forward, knowing yeah, what yeah. you've got, how you use it. So that leads to capital avoidance and other things down the line. So your point about don't build, Actually, we'll have the evidence to say, no, we have enough teaching space. We don't need to build anymore. Yeah, and and, and, and I've, I've coined it, uh, re people say, I can't afford this. I said, yes, you can. It's called reallocation of budget. Stop spending money on the old analog ideas and start spending, you know, and, and from those, when you stop spending money on the analog ideas, you can actually um, have some funds to invest in the new ideas, right? And it's sometimes painful, but if you plan it right, it's, it's not. Um, all right. Uh, so what about things like classroom of the future, drone security force, robots delivering supplies, autonomous vehicles, um, smart buildings? I mean, are those all in your your, uh, your plan at this point? Yeah, absolutely. They're all on the page. It's a, this is a, a journey and you can't do it all at once. You've got to put the underpinning infrastructure in, first of all. You've got to do the things that actually generate the business case for you. So things that are going to save, things that are going to get confidence, things that are going to support people and experience. Experience is driving a lot of what we're doing here because, you know, if you think about new students coming to campus, they live in a connected world. They have certain expectations that probably you and I didn't have when we went to university. We have to deal with that. We have to provide it. Um, I mean, just to give you an, a flavor of some of the things we, we, we've got on campus at the moment, an installation called PaveGem, which is a kinetic paving system. So our students walk a across campus, it generates electricity. And we Are use that- Are you doing that campus-wide or is that gonna be a, a test? It's a small test area at the moment on a bridge, a new link bridge into campus where we've got sort of quite a lot of footfall. But actually what that does, that goes to a battery store and that then charges USBs on the charging points on the on the seats around campus. So that's student power, literally. That's, that's See, that's the kind of integration with research. Well, you know, I, I mentioned Lake Nona, which to me was the 50 year later uh, effort uh, followed the efforts of Walt Disney with Epcot. Experimental prototype community of tomorrow. The goal is to take private sector, consumers, corporates, and experiment, a living lab. So this word living lab is actually Walt Disney coined it 50 years ago when he was trying to get this idea. But that's exciting. You know, why wouldn't you just not think about it in the labs or the research facilities, but put it onto a campus and test it out? Yeah, absolutely. And Jib, if I'd have had some of this smart tech probably two and a half years ago, COVID and pandemic would have been so much easier for me. I would have known how many people I had in buildings at any one time. If I had to change the social distancing arrangements in a building, I could do it at the you know a, a tap of a keyboard. I could understand um, cleaning areas more frequently. I could allocate resources much better. So it really does start to tick a lot of boxes. And for me, because we're investing capital, it doesn't cost you a huge amount more to invest in smart. So if I'm replacing life expired assets, put smart ones back in, put carbon saving ones back in. So so were you always this 
um, interest in this technology, you know, or, or did the pandemic kind of bring it to the forefront? And then um, the second question is, where do you get your inspiration? I mean, who, who do you look to for guidance before you take a step someplace? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was on this journey before the pandemic. I've, I've always been sort of passionate about smart buildings and making sure buildings actually facilitate what goes on within them. They don't hinder or get in the way of business getting done. Um, I mean, where I draw my inspiration from, it's, it's a huge amount of places. Uh, I mean, retail, home, uh, airports. I'm always on the lookout. As you said earlier, I've just come back from Dubai. I've just been to Dubai Expo, which finished yesterday. Um, uh, my head's just spinning with things that I've seen and things that I want to do. Um, and that's what you, you need to get out there. You need to do this sort of thing. You need to talk to others. Well, when we started taking our, our trips to Asia, you know, 2004, almost 20 years ago, when we went to the Middle East, you know, frankly, a lot of people in the United States says, what are you doing? I mean, innovation is, starts here, is built here. And I go, no, 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 you gotta, if you're gonna build, you know, a, a million square feet building, for God's sakes, shouldn't you be on an airplane around the world looking at best practices, collecting the 100 ideas and deciding on the 10 that you wanna put into your project? Yeah, absolutely. But but unfortunately, a lot of times you get the cut and paste from the last project, and you know the people don't get out of you know their perimeter and, and see these new ideas. I think, and they actually that, that leads to my next question: the organizational change and the and the human element side of it. You know, getting people convinced that these changes are real. How do you go about that? Do you take them and show them these things, or are they just the people you work with naturally curious? It's a little bit of both, to be honest. I mean, we have a mix of academics who just get it, who work in this field or associated to this field and actually embrace it. They're, 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 they're really delighted that we are, as you mentioned before, campus is now talking to them. They've got an opportunity close to home, next door to where their office is to actually get some of this stuff in, in, in real time. Um, I'm delighted. We're just about to start a new build project, a clinical skills lab, which is heavy on simulation. So junior doctor training, uh, nurse training, digital anatomy. And I'm going to take a, a, a bunch of academics um, and medics out and we'll come to the States and we're going to look at the best of the best just to understand who's operating in this field. You know, we need to embrace green screen technology. We need to we need to get more virtual rather than building physical solutions, because if well, I've got a multi occupancy building, I can't develop space for them to use before, on their own. Before you come, let's talk because you're probably going to have a list of 10 you think you should go see. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to show you five or 10 that you probably never heard of uh, that where the real ideas are happening. That's because, what I, that's because what I mean. they know. And I want to end our conversation with, with this topic we had beforehand, the power of yes. Okay. You know, as, as civilization, societies evolve, you, you start to get protective and less risk-taking, and the word no comes out of your mouth much faster than the word yes. Mm -hmm. You just came back from Dubai. That's the land of yes. Try it, fail. If it fails, move on. But how do you find people or, you know, how do you align yourself with people that say yes? And this, what's the second question is, how do we start getting the folks who are in power now to realize things are changing? We got to move quick and we better start saying yes a lot more than we do no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, your first question, um, partnering. So working with others who have the ideas and what you're doing is gluing pieces together, you're assembling, because that's where you get the smart solutions. A little bit of tech from there, a bit of software from there, a bit of know-how from there. That's the way you, 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 you bake it up. Yeah. Um, 
in, in terms of how, moving it forward, um, it, it's it's sometimes difficult to get business case for some of this because right. it doesn't stack up doesn't on exist. its own. But the, dri the driver for me is we have to do a lot of work around carbon reduction by 2035. We've put a date on it from a university perspective. For me, that means I'm going to have to spend something like 30 million pound UK pounds every year for the next 13 to 15 years. So we've got a pipeline of investment. That's where I'm saying, if you're gonna spend the money, spend it smart as well as spend it efficiently. So, so I, I've got a 30 second response to that. It is so much simpler than people believe, okay? We focus on automobiles and the pack and the cost of gasoline, cost of petrol to you, right? And that's where all the headlines are today. Well, PS, automobiles are not the largest consumer of, of energy. Buildings are. Mm -hmm. We get no headlines. Nobody's paying attention to us. 40 to 45% of the energy spend comes from us. Okay, we need to go to work. We need to mall. I get it. But do we really need to air condition heat and, and provide electricity to buildings at three o'clock in the morning when nobody's in them? New York City was at, uh, in 2020, less than 10% occupancy utilization and the energy spend did not move. Okay, so let's focus on buildings. Let's focus on the fact that we leave the lights on at three o'clock in the morning. Let's look at technologies like low voltage and LEDs and all the things you're talking about, because the answer in decarbonization is in our world. And I don't know why it's taken this industry so long. I'm glad ESG is back, but this is my third time I've dealt with energy in my career. And I hope to God it sticks this time. You know? So final thoughts, what's next for your smart campus? Big, crazy idea that everybody will think you're crazy. <laughs> I've got lots from last week that I saw in Dubai. I mean, the next big step for us is digital twin. I mean, that's a practical step for us because that gives us the environment to play a little bit. But apart from that, uh, a lot of work around hybrid teaching at the moment and how I can bring people in the room and people in other parts of the world together in an immersive teaching session where nobody feels disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. That's not crazy stuff. That's a real reality for me, but that's what I'm on at the moment. Well, let's collaborate because whether it's in a classroom or in an office conference room, that is the future, and uh, I, I think there's a lot of work to be done, but an incredible amount of opportunity for people willing to you know, get down there and do the dirty work. So, Trevor, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, especially given your trip, and I'm sure you're tired. Maybe it's time to go have a pint and then a nap. What do you think? <laughs> Sounds good to me. It's pint o'clock, yeah. Pint o'clock. <laughs> Thank you so much, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Be well. All right, well, we're just having a way too much fun. Uh, let's bring on Howard, and he's going to bring us up to speed on what's going around the world uh, in real estate technology or prop tech. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks, Jim. And that, that's a great show. And thank you for being with us, Trevor. Congratulations on delivering just such an amazing project. Uh, yep. This was uh, this was really enlightening. Uh, so I'm going to go on to the news. I'm going to recap a couple of stories from the week. So our lead story comes from Sandeep Dave, uh, Chief Digital and Technology Officer at CBRE, and it's entitled, Is AI Really Ready for Real Estate? It's part of uh, part one of a two-part series. And this is a topic that's top of mind for me as it is for a lot of the technologists in our community. So the promises of applying AI to real estate processes is tantalizing, but what's the reality? Uh, a recent Deloitte study demonstrated that 46% of the enterprises who implemented an AI strategy reported achieving low outcomes, while 26% reported good outcomes, but limited deployment. What does that mean? So in this article, Sandeep shows there's a significant value in leveraging AI for the right commercial real estate use cases. 
and subsequently dives into those use cases to show that show the greatest promise of success. And in part two, he's going to share what CBRE has learned as the key to, keys to success. So great read. Thank you, Sandeep. Next, I want to shout out to this week's pet tech partner, Intelligent Buildings. It had a great article entitled Traditional IT Cybersecurity Methods Don't Work in Commercial Real Estate. Boom. If you recall in the uh, previous article, they described radically different environments in commercial real estate facilities compared with traditional enterprise IT and how you have to address these three specific areas. Number one, remote access and networks. Two, building systems backup and configuration. And three, technician policy management. This week's article focuses on number one, remote access and networks is going to be followed by the others in subsequent articles. Now, IB did a great job in painting a no-nonsense picture of the critical characteristics that are absolutely necessary for managing a remote access risk. And they highlight the importance of applying both a zero trust approach along with inventory and threat detection function as part of the overall strategy. Another great read from the guys from Intelligent Buildings. Stay tuned for the rest of the series. Uh, now, ESG is on everyone's mind now, including CIOs. And here's a great article on six ways CIOs can drive change through ESG. Now, CIOs are uniquely positioned to be strong leaders on ESG, but a number are struggling with what does that really mean for their IT departments? Because CIOs are responsible for the enterprise technologies. They have the most complete view of the interdependencies and interactions of people, process, and technologies across business functions. And they can leverage that knowledge to help their companies achieve ESG objectives in very specific ways. First, environmental, and that means energy reduction, sustainable use of AI. Number two, social, that's DEI-focused technology solutions, socially responsible applications of technologies. And three, governance, that's data privacy and compliance reporting. So CIOs need a solid understanding of the business and also now uh, must be able to integrate ESG into the enterprise strategy and daily operations. So CIOs, if you haven't already, start arming yourselves with the knowledge and best practices around ESG as part of your continuous learning. Now, here is a uh, thought-provoking article. It's entitled, it's not where you charge an electric vehicle, it's what you do while it's charging. So billions are being invested, spent, planned to be put into more EVs charging. And recently, the White House unveiled a $5 billion plan to put chargers every 50 miles. And this has made EV charging startups a hot item. <coughs> Excuse me. The problem is that a lot of the planning continues around, quote unquote, gasoline thinking, which is imagining that EVs are similar to gasoline cars. And you just drive them around for a while and fill up when you see that the tank is low. But most petrol drivers are afraid that electric cars because they know it takes longer to charge. <coughs> Excuse me. They don't easily get away from that gasoline thinking. So to understand charging and where to put it, it's really important to realize it's not so much where you put the charge and when you charge, it's more to the point where, what do you do while you're charging? You know, I, Howard, I, I ran into this issue last week. I was at our local outlet mall and there's nobody who, who's more supportive of electric, uh, you know, electric cars and, and electrification, a lot of these topics. But I saw seven people in Tesla's waiting in line at the outlet mall for the two chargers. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can shop or you can sleep or you can work. We're eight, no, yeah. And I believe there we're going to have 2 million electric cars by the end of 
2022, there's 270 million, I believe, uh, gas cars, right? So that's still small. But if we really want to get this electric car usage up, we got to solve this problem. Yeah, no, there is a whole strategy around placement uh, of these EV charges. And if we get it right, uh, we're going to introduce a lot more efficiency into the whole process. I don't want to shop them. I want to fill my gas tank or my battery up in three minutes or less. That's the way our society is wired. Yeah, that's not going to happen for a while. You know, yeah. Yeah, so and, I mean, then I, I suggest we got to be practical with the implementation because I don't think that Americans in the and the busy schedules and the crazy you know way they live are going to put up with having to wait in line and then wait while your car gets charged. So um, I think that could be that could hurt this whole movement, and um, some thought has to be put into it. I think so too. Yeah, no, uh, but that, 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 that I thought it was an intriguing article. Something very it's practical, right? Nobody wants technology more than we do. But you know what? If you don't listen to you know feedback, and if you don't, if you're not practical and honest, this stuff just doesn't get used. You know? Yep, agreed. Totally. Well, as always, did a great job with the news, and uh, I appreciate it. And it's I, I've been getting this wrong every week. Is it next week you're not here? I'm out next week. I'll be back the following. All right. Remember, I asked you. I need some. I video. know. I'll bring one. <laughs> I want video so we can show our guests what you're doing and how talented you are with your group of musicians. And uh, you have a great time. Enjoy yourself. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you when you get back. Thanks, Jim. Have a okay. great one. All right. Before we uh, uh, break uh, today and I give you a little insight on what next week is all about, let's hear from our final sponsor. The iOffice platform by iOffice and SpaceIQ makes tough calls easier. Our software brings all your real estate data from many different systems into a single platform. You can identify occupancy rates and trends with intelligent space management software and sensor integrations. You can help tenants make the most of your space with technology that helps them find people and places fast. Turn tough real estate calls into opportunities with iOffice. Brought to you by iOffice and Space IQ. All right, so we're always looking for ways to make Realcom Live more interesting, more engaging. And you know, what I challenge our team is, let's get out there on the streets. Let's do some live reporting, right? Because you know, it's one thing to be sitting in our offices or uh, you know having conversations like this, but it's also kind of cool and interesting to see some things. So uh, we've already had a conversation on the show about 303 battery. It's uh, one of the first um, prefabricated uh, office, or actually this case, it's an apartment building uh, in Seattle, which means they build the components in a factory and then they assemble it on site. We've been watching this for years, um, specifically over in China with broad construction. And we thought it'd be a cool idea to have two guests next week in two different locations um, with these folks, uh, with SLI. And one is going to be uh, Adam Rode, the chief operating officer. Uh, he's going to be talking about the project. And then Cassie Cassidy, the chief construction officer, is actually going to be on site. So we're going to be on site at the building so we can see the construction assembly taking place. And then we're actually going to be on the factory floor where we're going to be able to see the components being built and then ready for shipment to the site for assembly. You don't want to miss this show. This, uh, you know, with construction costs going up, with supply chain issues, we've got to get that whole construction process down uh, to a much more efficient way. And I think these guys are on to something. So join us next week as we talk about uh, sustainable prefabricated construction processes. And we're going to take you live right from the factory floor. You all have a great weekend and we look forward to seeing you next Friday on Realcom Live. Be well. <laughs>